you've got your Bibles, if you would, would you open them up to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardback black Bible under the chair in front of you. And if you're using one of those, we're going to be on page 858 this morning. This morning, we're actually going to finish up Luke chapter 2. And and as we're finishing it up, we're going to be looking at the only passage of Scripture that talks to us about Jesus' childhood. Last week, we finished up the infancy narrative, which tells us about Jesus as a baby. We saw Jesus' parents living in ordinary obedience as they lived out their faith. And as we looked at that, what we were seeing was an example of how the Christian life is a life of ordinary obedience serving an extraordinary God. We saw that most of the time, the Christian life is is made up of just living what Christ has called us into. And and as we do that, making those daily choices to live for Jesus in just the ordinary things of life, as, as we do that, as we serve him, we get to see our extraordinary God, our God who encourages us when we need encouragement, our God who is willing to confront us with hard truths that will help us to grow. Our God who is faithful in everything. That's what we saw last week. But as we continue today, we're going to see a a picture of Jesus in his preteen years. And as we look at this little glimpse of Jesus in his preteen years, we're going to see a picture of how the journey of discipleship is a family endeavor. That's what we're going to see as we look at our text today, and that's my main idea for you as we're leaving today. If you're visiting with us, I like to have just kind of one main idea that we can stew over throughout the week, and and that main idea is this. The journey of discipleship is a family endeavor. God uses families as one of the primary instruments to make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see that in this passage today. So with that in mind, let's dive right in. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 41, and we're going to take it to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when they, the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage that tells us about your son's childhood, I ask that you would speak to us. I ask that you would help us to see everything that you are presenting before us today, and that we would be encouraged, 
that we'd be edified, that we would walk out of here better prepared to live for you, better prepared, those of us who are parents, to shepherd our kids to know, love, and follow you, better prepared to live on mission for you in everything that we do. Father, I also ask that if there's anyone here today that doesn't truly know you, Maybe, maybe they think they do. Maybe they think they're a Christian because of all sorts of reasons, but, but they've never actually surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, if somebody is here like that today, I ask today you would break down walls, that you would lead us into genuine repentance, and that today would be the beginning of a new journey of discipleship where we pursue you, where we make you a priority in everything that we do. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever seen something happen? Maybe walked in midway and not been fully up to speed on the context of what's going on. And and as that happened, you completely misinterpreted what you were seeing. That's happened to me like all the time. Uh, I'll walk in and I'll miss a little bit of the context that's going on. And and because I'm missing that context, I don't get it for what it actually is. Like when I was a senior officer in my squadron, I feel like I always was walking into my junior sailors workspaces and and I would walk in not knowing really what's going on, but I'd hear a lot of yelling and cussing and and all the rest. And I think, no kidding, a fight is about to break out. I think I'm going to have to call the ship's MAs to bust up a brawl only to discover they're just joking around and laughing and and all the rest. I, I can't tell you how many times I've completely missed it because I didn't have the context. Context matters. It matters in everyday life, and it matters when we're reading scripture. And as we look at this passage of Luke chapter 2, we see this story that seems to be showing us one thing, but if we take the time to fully understand the context behind the story, we'll see it's actually showing us so much more. I think most of the time when we read this paragraph of chapter Luke, what we think about is the fact that Mary and Joseph lost Jesus in Jerusalem. Or we think about the fact that Jesus is sitting in the temple and he's teaching the teachers. Or or we think about the fact that that final statement of the paragraph says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We focus on those aspects of the narrative, and and while those details are important, if we focus just on them, we miss everything else this is showing us. So this morning, I'd like for us to try and see the whole picture, because this really is giving us a picture of the reality that the process of passing our faith on to the next generation, the journey of discipleship, is something for the whole family. This really is showing us that the journey of discipleship is a family endeavor. And as we're talking about a family endeavor, the first thing I'd like you to notice, and this is good news, by the way, is that God uses imperfect parents to grow their children's faith. God uses imperfect parents to grow their children's faith. Take a look at verses 41 and 42. The Bible tells us, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now, as we look at those two verses right here, this is, is where the understanding of context becomes so important for us. 
Because while it feels like those two verses are just setting the stage for the events that are going to follow, they're actually loaded with important information about how Mary and Joseph were working to disciple their son. Verse 42 ends by telling us they went up according to custom. And what we need to recognize is that the custom they're talking about right there is not the requirements of the law. The custom that's talking about is their custom. It's their habit. You see, the law only required that men went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. There's no requirement for women to go, no requirement for children to go. And yet verse 41 makes it clear that Mary went each year too. This is yet another example of what we saw last week. Mary and Joseph are faithful servants of the Lord. So while Mary wasn't required to travel to Jerusalem each year, she went anyway because their faith was important to them. They made it a priority. And so every year, Jesus' parents go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. And, and then verse 42 tells us that when Jesus was 12 years old, they took him along too. Now, it's worth noting that this does not preclude Jesus from having gone in previous years. In fact, it's quite likely that he did go with them. This is just telling us that the events that we're going to read about happened when Jesus was 12 years old. And, and that keys us into another detail that we should make note of. And that's the fact that Jesus wasn't required to be there yet. The rabbinic traditions of the day said that, that a Jewish boy becomes responsible before God at age 13 and a year before that happens. And quite likely for many years prior to that, we see Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And the reason they're taking Jesus with them is the same reason Mary went each year. The Lord is a priority for this family. Their faith is a priority for this family. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus' earthly parents, they, they knew and embraced the commands of Scripture that required them to pass that faith on to the next generation. And while at the time they wouldn't have used the language of discipleship, you should notice that's exactly what Mary and Joseph are doing right here. They're teaching their faith to their 12-year-old son. They're, they're giving their son an example of faithfulness before God. They're letting him see them live out their faith. And as I say that, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Josh, this couple was chosen by God himself to raise God's own son. Of course they're going to do this. Of course, they're going to disciple their son. Of course, they're going to be the best parents ever who never make mistakes, who never mess anything up. Of course, Mary and Joseph are pretty much perfect parents. Well, keep reading. Because as we keep reading, we're, we're going to see that these parents are far from perfect. Take a look, beginning at verse 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Like you see what that says, right? Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. God's son is gone. They left him in Jerusalem, a major city. They traveled a day away before they realized he was missing. 
This is like us taking our kids to a Christian conference in Dallas, spending a week in Dallas, getting in the car, driving all the way back to Alberta and realizing, oh, we left the kids in Dallas. Like that's what's happened right here. That's what they did. They left Jesus in Jerusalem and traveled for a full day. Now, in fairness, I'll have to admit that this was easier for them to do than than you might expect. The the journey from Jerusalem back to Nazareth, going around Samaria, because the Samaritans, they they were unclean and evil and bad, Uh, it it would have been about 80 miles. And the the route that they took often included dangerous roads with highway robbers. And and so quite frequently, pilgrims to Jerusalem would, would travel in these large caravans made up of extended family and neighbors. They cover about 20 miles a day, and, and it makes sense that maybe the kids would be off with other parts of the group as they're traveling. So, so it's not completely impossible that Mary and Joseph have made this mistake. Even Luke doesn't seem to really condemn them for this. But nonetheless, these parents have made a huge mistake, and their reaction shows that they know it, right? Like, they're freaking out. They know this is a problem. They immediately head back to Jerusalem. They spend an entire day looking for their son. They're worried about him. And what we can take out of this is the reality that Mary and Joseph aren't perfect parents. They're not. Mary and Joseph aren't perfect, but God uses them. Luke is showing us that they're normal, everyday, imperfect parents just like us. And that should give us hope. Because Luke is showing us that God can use imperfect parents. They're not perfect, but they're real. They're they're not perfect. They make mistakes, but their faith is genuine. And they're working in that to pass their faith along to their son by modeling this faith. And as parents today, or if you're going to be parents, or if you're grandparents, like as we're looking at us, this is important for us to see. As a church, we we tell you this all the time, parents are the primary disciplers of their kids. That is your responsibility. Now, as a church, we want to come alongside you. We want to help you with that, encourage you, provide you resources where we can. But that is the role that God has given to parents. And sadly, somewhere along the way in American Christianity, we've begun to think that the role has shifted over to the church that it's the church's responsibility to disciple our kids. And and I know I've only been a pastor for like three and a half years, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen parents who bring their kids to church and they drop them off here and, and they want us to disciple their kids, but those parents don't seem to be living out their faith themselves. And what they don't realize is that the example they're living is undermining anything that we would ever try to be able to instill in their kids. Because the reality is our kids are watching us. They're taking their cues from us. So the answer to raising our kids to know, love, and follow Jesus isn't to bring them to church more. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't bring your kids to church. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying bring them to church. But but the answer to leading them to know, love, and follow Jesus isn't to bring them to church and drop them off here. The answer is is not to just dump them on the church and ask the church to do it. If you want your kids to have a genuine faith, 
The kind of faith that will stand up to the unrelenting pressures of the world that are calling them to walk away from Jesus Christ. If you want your kids to know, love, and follow Jesus, the most important thing that you can do is to know, love, and follow Jesus yourself and let your kids see you doing it. That's the most important thing you can do. And here's the good news that we're seeing right here. When you do that, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a perfect faith to model it for your kids. You just have to have a real faith. You just have to strive to live that out and be real. You know what that looks like? It looks like openly pursuing Christ. Where, where we model what it means to study God's word where we model what it means to live a life where we're always praying, where we're always going to God with our requests, where we model what it means to live in fellowship with other believers, where we model what it means to worship God, like, like parents, dads especially. Let your kids see you worship. When we gather in here and we worship, sing Like nobody cares if you don't sing well. I don't care. I don't sing well. And I sing at the top of my lungs. Let's do it. Let's sing. Model what it means to worship for your kids. Let them see you doing that. You don't have to be a perfect parent, but you have to be real. And and here's one of the really cool things about that. Because we're not perfect, because you're going to make mistakes, when you make mistakes, when you fail, that becomes another opportunity to disciple your kids. Because those failures will give us an opportunity to model what repentance looks like, which I think is something our our society as a whole is lacking. When you fail, when you sin against your kids, and you will, if you want your kids to know what it means to repent, then repent to your kids. Go to your kids. Tell them how you've sinned against them. Tell them you were wrong. Ask them to forgive you. Tell them, listen, this is just another example of how I need Jesus just as much as anybody else. If you want your kids to know what it means to repent, repent to your kids and don't ever add a but onto that sentence. Like if you say, I'm sorry, but you've just erased your I'm sorry. Just apologize. Be real. You don't have to be a perfect parent. You just have to be real. What we're seeing right here is God uses imperfect parents to grow their children's faith. We don't have to be perfect parents, just real parents. Genuine, authentic Christians who let our kids see us living out our faith. That's what we're seeing in the first half of this text today. But I told you that the journey of discipleship is a family endeavor. We've seen the parents' role in this here, how how parents work to disciple their kids, but but now we're going to see how discipleship is for everyone in the family. Because as we keep going in this passage, we're going to see Jesus, the, the son, model what discipleship looks like. We're going to see that Jesus gave us an example to follow. And we're going to see that in three ways. So so take a look, beginning at verse 46, the Bible says, after three days. So so they've traveled one day, 
They realize Jesus is missing. They travel one day back, and then they spend a third day looking for Jesus. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Do you recognize what this is telling us right here? What what this is telling us here is that Jesus sought out teachers to learn. I don't think we think about that. This is huge. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and he goes to the temple and he's there learning from teachers. He's listening to them. He's asking questions. I think so often when we read this passage of scripture, we we tend to focus on, on verse 47, where it tells us that everybody who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And we completely miss the fact that Jesus himself was going, seeking out the teachers, finding them and sitting there and learning from them. And that's what we as disciples ought to do as well. You can't be a disciple by yourself. Like you can't Follow Jesus. You can't be a Christian and have just a personal faith where it's just you and God. That's not what we see in Scripture. We need one another. We need to be taught. And that can look like a lot of things. It can look like coming to church on Sunday and having me rant at you for 30 or 40 minutes. It can look like getting into a small group or a home group. It can look like one-on-one discipling where you find a more mature believer who's able to answer questions, who's able to encourage you and press you forward in the faith. But disciples seek out teachers to help them learn and grow. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner. That's the first way that Jesus gives us an, an example to follow. Jesus sought out teachers to learn. But the second example is a little bit more subtle. So keep reading, beginning at verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This one's a little more subtle, but it's, it's, it's big. Jesus knew who he was. His parents find him, and they're astonished at what they see. Mary, exasperated, is like, why did you do this to us? What's wrong with you? We've been looking for you everywhere. Your father and I have been worried sick. And Jesus, completely calm, turns to her and says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I have to be in my father's house? I have to be about my father's business? Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was God's own son. And the reason this is so subtle for us is because we overlook the wordplay that Luke is using to recount the event. There in verse 48, at the end of verse 48, Mary says, behold, your father and I, she's talking about Joseph, his earthly father, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. But how does Jesus reply? In verse 49, he asks, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Depending on the translation, it might say about my father's business. It's the same point. 
He's in the temple. He's in the house of the Lord, the house of Yahweh, and he calls it my father's house. Jesus knew who he was. His first words recorded in the gospel of Luke are telling us that he knew that he was God's own son. His first words that are recorded in the gospel of Luke are telling us that he knew his own identity. And that matters for us because Jesus is living out a principle that applies to our lives as well. And that principle is this. Your identity sets your priorities. Jesus knew he was God's son. And so his priority was to be in God's house. His priority was to be about his father's business. His identity sets his priorities. And your identity, if you're a disciple of Jesus, sets your priorities as well. When you're a disciple of Jesus, that identity sets the priorities for your life. When you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to prioritize following Jesus. You're going to prioritize the spiritual disciplines that you hear me talking about all time, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time in community, fasting, all of these spiritual disciplines that draw us closer to Christ. You're going to prioritize those things. You're going to prioritize living in a way where you're growing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So the question I'd like you to ask yourself today is, is that happening for me? Do my priorities reflect my identity as a Christian? Do my priorities reflect my identity as a disciple of Jesus? Because if they don't, listen, I love you. But as gently as I can say, if your priorities do not reflect your identity as a Christian, then then maybe you need to ask yourself, am I actually a Christian? Listen, we live in the buckle of the Bible belt. It is so incredibly easy to identify as a Christian. It's so easy to to just say, I'm a Christian and and not actually be one. Maybe because you grew up going to Sunday school every Sunday. Maybe because you attend church most Sundays as an adult, or or maybe it's because your parents were Christians, or because all of your friends are Christians, or, or because this is just something you've always done. It can be really easy to identify as a Christian. But if, as you take stock of the priorities of your life, they don't align with the identities of being a disciple of Jesus... If the pursuit of Christ, if time in God's word, if time in prayer, if time spent in fellowship with other believers is not a priority in your life, then maybe the simple reality is you're not actually a disciple of Jesus. Maybe the simple reality is you're not actually a Christian. Now, listen, I I don't want to stir any doubt in anyone's heart here. I'm not saying that you've got to get this 100% right all the time, that you've always spot on, always on fire for Christ. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, what I am saying is that if you don't feel in your heart this drawing to be more like Christ, if you don't have this priority toward things like I'm talking about here, then, then maybe that's because you've never actually repented of your sin. 
Maybe that's because you want Jesus to be your savior, but you don't want him to be your Lord. And you've never just surrendered your life and said, Jesus, you are going to be the Lord of my life. You are going to set the priorities of my life. And as I say, say that, if, if you feel like I'm talking to you right now, listen, I've got good news for you. Like you can change that identity right now. Like while I'm talking, you don't have to wait till the end of the sermon. Right now, you can pray. You can repent of your sin. You can say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. I've never actually wanted to live for you. Today, that changes. Forgive me of my sin. Be Lord of my life. Lead me. Change my priorities. Shape me more into the image of your son. You can do that right now. You do not have to wait. You can begin the path of discipleship right here because Jesus knew who he was and that set his priorities. And you can let him set your priorities too. That's the second way that Jesus models discipleship for us. But the third way we find as we keep reading, take a look beginning at verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. The the final example that we see Jesus giving us to to follow here is, is that Jesus was submissive to authority. Jesus, who knows that he is God's own son, he knows he's God. We've made that clear, right? Is submissive to the authorities in his life. His parents don't even understand it. We just read that at the beginning of verse 50. Luke tells us they did not understand what Jesus said to them. But still, Jesus is submissive to the authorities that God has placed over him. And right here, those authorities include his earthly father and mother. And that's an example that we should emulate. That's an example that we can follow. As disciples of Jesus, we should be submissive to the authorities that are over us. And I know that this is a concept that we don't like. It's a very un-American concept to submit to authorities, but it's also a very biblical concept. Jesus, God in the flesh, modeled this for us. Jesus was submissive to authority, and as his disciples, so are we. We follow the leadership that God has put over us, and, and that's at every level in the church, in the home, in our nation, even at work. Like as Christians, we should be the best employees an organization has unless they're asking you to like violate scripture. You should be the best, most hardest workers that they have. That's part of being a disciple. It's an example that Jesus gives us right here. And notice that as Jesus does that, I want you to see the results there. In the final verse of chapter 2, Luke tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. As Jesus sought out teachers to, to learn and ask questions, as Jesus lived in his identity, knowing who he was, letting that set the priorities for his life, as Jesus was submissive to the authorities over him, he grew. He grew in wisdom He grew physically, like he got taller. He's a 12-year-old boy. We expect that. But he also gained favor both with God because he's being obedient to what God had told him to do, but also with people. 
Jesus' obedience resulted in opportunities with people. And here's what we can get from that. When you live for Jesus, when you live this out as a disciple of Jesus, following the example that Jesus has set before us at times, not always, but at times, it's going to give you a foot in the door to not just live for Jesus, but to live the mission that Jesus has given us. It's going to open up a door. As people see you living life, they're going to see something is different about them. And they're going to want to know what it is that's different about them. And that will give you an opportunity to share the gospel message. It will give you an opportunity to tell them why you're different. Not always, but sometimes as we live faithfully following Jesus, it's going to give us opportunities to share in Jesus' mission. Jesus gave us an example to follow. Disciples seek out teachers to, to learn. They live in their identity. They're submissive to authority. And as we see that example, we follow it. This is the only passage in the Bible that shows us Jesus as a child. But I hope as we're looking at it today, you're beginning to see that there's more to it maybe than you first thought. I hope as you're looking at it today, you're beginning to see that it gives us a picture of what discipleship is supposed to look like. Because Luke is showing us here that the journey of discipleship is a family endeavor. It's something all of us do. Whether you're a small child or an older grandparent, all of us are called to be disciples and to model it. It's not just for parents. It's not just for kids, it's for the whole family. And Luke is showing us that God uses imperfect parents to grow their children's faith. And then together, the entire family can grow. The entire family can live like Jesus in the example he gave us. Where we're growing to be more like Christ. Where we're always learning, where we're living in our identity, where we're submissive to authority, where we're sharing the gospel message. The journey that Mary and Joseph and Jesus took to Jerusalem and back reminds us that the journey of discipleship is a family endeavor. And as a church, we want to help you with that. So outside today, we've got a resource table available. And, and on that table, you're going to find all kinds of resources, books, things that will be really helpful to you in the discipleship process. Um, but I'd like to commend two of them to you right now. The first is this book here, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. This is an older book, but it is outstanding. It's, it's an outstanding book that's going to help to encourage you to, to pursue Christ to live out those spiritual disciplines I've been talking about. Grab this one out there. We're supplementing the cost of all these so they're cheaper than they'd be on Amazon. And by the way, if you have an Audible account, like you're in the subscription thing where you get a credit every month, this one's for free on Audible. Take a listen to or, or take a read through this book. Outstanding book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. And then this one for parents is talking with your kids about Jesus. 30 conversations every parent must have. Excellent book that's going to help you to have conversations with your kids about who Jesus was, what he did, why he died, why he rose again, and probably most importantly, why Jesus makes a difference. Those are just two resources that are available to you out there. Let me encourage you, grab one of those. If we run out, we'll get you one. Don't, don't worry about that. And if the cost is an issue, just take the book and read it. But also, and maybe more importantly, let me encourage you to live out your faith 
in every aspect of your lives. Like, don't hear a message today. I know that this has been a little bit confrontational this morning, but, but don't be confronted and do nothing. If you need to make a change, make a change, but live out your faith. As we've been looking at this text, as you've been confronted with this, you're, you're encountering an opportunity to grow as a disciple of Jesus. So grow. My challenge for you today is, is to grow. Let's have families where we are discipling and growing together because that's what this is showing us here today. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for this confrontation that we found in a bit of an unexpected place. God, we thank you for your word and and how it shows us examples of, of what it means to be a Christian family. Whatever that family looks like, whether it's two parents or one, whether it's kids that are in the home or kids that have grown and moved on, whether it's grandparents who interact with their grandkids on occasion or all the time, you're giving us an example of what the Christian family is supposed to be like. And it's a family where we disciple, where we pursue Christ together. And so, Father, as we think about what your word has confronted us with today, I I ask that you would stir our hearts to take a step. Regardless of whether that step is, is a step that feels huge or small, would you help us to take a step today? Maybe that's a conversation as we're driving home for the first time after church or a conversation during the week as we're driving the kids to school or conversation over the dinner table about what we've been reading in scripture. Maybe it's a step of deciding to actually read scripture, to open our Bibles for more than just a Sunday morning service. Maybe that step is a step to commit to spend some time talking to you each day, starting just a few seconds or a minute, but but growing that as, as the habit builds. Father, would you help us to take a step? And, and God, I, I'm just asking that if there's somebody here that needs to take that first step, that you would do that right now. God, if there are folks in the room today who they, they've lived a life identifying as a Christian, but, but there's no fruit, there's no inclination towards pursuing you. God, would you help them to see that as the book of 1 John tells us, they're self-deceived. They're not fooling you, they're just fooling themselves. And so, God, would you lead them to repentance and help them to overcome any fear or shame? Help them to know that this is a church where they are welcome. Even if they've been here for five years and are already a member, have already been baptized, but they've never actually placed their faith in you, they're welcome here and we love them and we want them to pursue you. So, God, would you do that in their hearts today? If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity. If you want to come follow Jesus, maybe you've been coming to the church for a long time. Maybe maybe this is your first time, but 
you've never actually surrendered your life to have Christ as Lord, and you want to do that today, if that's you, would you just slip up your hand really quick? I don't see anybody. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Help us to go out of here encouraged that we would live lives that magnify you in everything that we do. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray.